0: Lock Talk Radio. Grab your coat, grab your hat, leave your worries on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street. Guys and gals, uh, this is Jean Gladwin. I wanted to talk about an article that Jim Mars, uh, who is a former newspaper journalist and New York Times best-selling author of books and articles on a wide range of alleged cover-ups and conspiracies. Mars is a prominent figure in the JFK conspiracy press and his book. Crossfire was a source of Oliver Stone's film, JFK. But first I wanted to talk about the media, talking about freedom of speech involving the cartoon satirists. But when you get on with Sean Hannity or anybody on Fox, like Megyn Kelly or O'Reilly, and defend Muslims, you can't finish a sentence. What these cartoonists do is license to deprecate meaningful religious persons, and that's not freedom of speech. It's a character assassination. And the NSA checks our library books, imagine that. And they surveil people, citizens of America, and they get the dumbest people to do it. Suddenly, if Bill Moore has become the spokesman for America, he should be lucky to have a job. And the media spends hours on this type of stuff, but not a minute on our unfit, unfixed potholes or 93 million Americans out of work, we can uh, expect to hear about this Parisian uh, nightmare for a long, long time, like ISIS, which may be another false flag. Uh, Jim Mars' false flags make one wonder about ISIS who used our arms to incite war on their own people. Mars. Americans are now beginning to pay the price for sleeping through history classes, ignoring important information in the alternative media and neglecting to participate in their own political process. They find themselves in a new war, the war on terrorism. This is a war they never asked for and never envisioned, anesthetized as we all are by the flickering tube of distraction. It is a war predicated on the premise that a sneak attack was made on the United States September 11, 2001. Unlike previous wars, there is no Berlin or Tokyo to capture, and hence no victory to be won, except for those who profit from war. The real victims of this war will be the average American citizen, right along with the starving Afghan. This new war might well be compared to the failed war on drugs and the nearly forgotten war on poverty. No clear victory has yet been achieved over the misuse of drugs or the ravages of poverty within our own nation. Our prisons are overflowing with drug offenders with no appreciable lessening of either demand or supply, and our basic civil rights have been badly mauled. Just like those failed campaigns, the war on terrorism for the foreseeable future will set us all on a costly course of restrictions and individual freedom, ever more centralized authority and omnipresent fear. And where are the voices of those who would argue the merits of this new war? The airwaves and newspapers only ratchet the fear factor upwards every day with little or no effort to hear the many thoughtful Americans who are asking themselves, do I really need to give up my freedoms in order to save them? So with flags flying on the antennae of our gas guzzling vehicles and love of country pulsing in our hearts, we march off to yet another war for oil. Yes, oil. Petroleum has been behind all recent wars beginning in the early 40s when a mostly rural and isolationist America was suddenly thrown into a world war as a reaction to the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Americans mourned the loss of some 3,000 soldiers and civilians in Hawaii, and in righteous indignation allowed their country to be turned into a giant military camp. The federal government which had been consolidated, which had consolidated so much power unto itself under the depression busting policies of President Franklin Roosevelt, grew even stronger and more centralized under the aegis of national security. It all seemed quite natural and necessary at the time, but serious students of history now know that even that good war was the result of machinations by a handful of wealthy and powerful men. By closing off Japan's oil supplies in the summer of 1941, Roosevelt, the quintessential Wall Street insider, ensured an eventual attack on the United States. It has now been well established that Roosevelt and a few close advisors knew full well that Pearl Harbor would be attacked on December 7th. 1941, but chose to allow it to happen to further their agenda for launching America into war. The Vietnam War was prosecuted by men who were close to Roosevelt and the Council on Foreign Relations, who had long voiced a desire to gain control over Indochina's oil, magnesium, and rubber assets. Again, a provocation was created. In August of 1964, President Lyndon Johnson whipped Congress into a frenzy claiming that North Vietnamese gunboats had attacked the United States Sixth Fleet in the Gulf of Tonkin off the coast of Vietnam. Our boys are floating in the water, he cried. Congress responded by passing the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which bypassed the Constitution and gave Johnson the power to wage war to stop attacks on Americans. It was beginning of the real shooting Vietnam War, and it was all a lie. No evidence has ever been brought forward that such an attack ever took place. In fact, editors for United States News and World Report on July 23, 1984, called it the phantom battle that led to war. While America was waging war against North Vietnam, which we were told was merely a puppet of communist Russia and China, Johnson was encouraged by his CFR advisors to grant the Soviet Union loans at higher levels than offered during World War II when they were our allies. United States-backed loans provided Russia with the means to build facilities which turned out war materials that were then sent to North Vietnam for use against our American troops. This was a good example of the duplicity of our modern wars. The Gulf War was all about oil from the wells in Kuwait slant drilling into Iraq's southern reserves to the destruction of the oil fields at its finish. Here we found a new Hitler in Saddam Hussein, an enemy armed and financed by the CIA, an agency whose top officials have long been connected to oil men, CFR members, and other globalists. Saddam Hussein, strapped for cash due to his eight-year war against Iran on behalf of the United States, decided to regain Kuwait as a means of increasing his income. Kuwait has been carved out of southern Iraq by British troops, so Kuwait belonged to Iraq to begin with, and that Gulf War was a trick against Saddam. And April Glaspie, our ambassador to um, Afghanistan, knew all about it. In the 19, um, Brzezinski and Jimmy Carter administration began secretly funding opponents of the pro. Soviet regime in Kabul in July of 1979 with the full knowledge such action might provoke a Soviet invasion. Soviet leaders at the time argued the invasion was necessary to thwart American aggression in Afghanistan. The former National Security Advisor who helped found the Globalist Trilateral Commission, that's uh, Krasinsky, expressed no regret at this provocation, stating, That secret operation was an excellent idea. It brought about the demoralization and finally the breakup of the Soviet Empire. It also produced the Taliban regime, which we are fighting today, as well as Osama bin Laden. By 1984, with Vice President George H.W. Bush overseeing the Afghan situation, bin Laden was in charge of the Maktab al-Kamardar which funneled money, arms, and manpower from the outside world into the war against the Soviets. He soon helped form a polygot formation of Arabic troops from Egypt, Pakistan, Lebanon, Syria, and Palestinian refugee camps, whom the CIA found easier to deal with than the Muslim fundamentalists in Afghanistan. There should be considerable soul-searching about America's role in arming and training an international group of Muslim extremists in Afghanistan long after their comrades destroyed the Marine barracks in Beirut and hijacked numerous airliners, supposedly. Would Americans attack Americans? The World Trade Center Pentagon attacks provided a convenient excuse to launch the pre-laid plans for military action against Afghanistan, but of course, you know, we also went into Iraq. But were they simply allowed to happen or were they contrived? The question becomes, would any American allow an attack on fellow Americans just to further his own business or political agenda? The answer? Unfortunately appears to be yes incredibly forty year old government documents thought to have been destroyed long ago, recently were made public, show the United States military in the early 1960 s proposed making terrorist attacks in the United States and blaming them on Fidel Castro and This is our CIA and our uh, military. These documents were produced beginning in late 1961, following the ill-fated Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba that, that spring. President John F. Kennedy, angered by the inept actions of the CIA, had shifted responsibility for Cuba from that agency to the Department of Defense. Here, military strategists considered plans to create terrorist actions which would alarm the American population and stampede them into supporting a military attack on Cuba. And this was called Operation Northwoods to create a series of well-coordinated accidents in or around the United States Naval Base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to include inciting riots, blowing up ammunition stores, aircraft, and ships. Kennedy rejected Operation Northwoods, and senior military officers ordered the documents destroyed, but someone slipped up and the papers were discovered by the Assassination Records Review Board and recently released by the National Archives. There are questions about 9-11 also, the World Trade Center. Superficially, it all seems straightforward enough, according to the official story, About 19 suicide Middle Eastern terrorists, their hearts full of hatred for American freedom and democracy, hijacked four airliners, crashing two into the Twin Towers of New York City's World Trade Center and a third into the Pentagon. The fourth reportedly crashed in western Pennsylvania after passengers attempted to fight the terrorists. Bin Laden and his friends, Of course, you know that uh, Bush Sr. and uh, bin Laden's father belonged to the Carlisle Group, which is in charge of making arms and other military uh, weapons. As in the JFK assassination, authorities had a suspect even before anyone knew for certain what had happened. He was the son of a wealthy Middle Eastern oil family, Osama bin Laden, who during the Russian-Afghan War of the 1980s received arms and financing from the United States government. Despite the fact that bin Laden has denied any knowledge of the attack, he was presumed guilty by both the government and the press. No other interpretation of the attack was allowed in the corporate mass media. Bin Laden was a made-to-order enemy. This may be due to the business connections between our new terrorist enemy and wealthy American companies. Well, we already know that corporations today and the uh, Federal Reserve control every action we take, and Congress is no help. It's interesting to see what the new ones are going to do. I'm going to take a, a break. A purple mountain majesties, over the fruited plain. But well, now wait a minute, I'm talking about America, sweet America. You know. Yes, he did. Anybody who from. droning people for decades now. Values through force are deeply flawed. What if it is true that Saddam Hussein never had weapons of mass destruction? What if it is true that Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden were never allies? What if it is true that the overthrow of Saddam Hussein did nothing to enhance our national security? What if our current policy in the Middle East leads to the overthrow of our client oil states in the region? What if the American people really knew that more than 20,000 American troops have suffered serious casualties or died in the Iraq War and 9% of our forces already have been made incapable of returning to battle? What if it turns out there are many more guerrilla fighters in Iraq than our government admits? What if there really had been 100,000 civilian Iraqi casualties, as some proclaim, and what is an acceptable price for doing good? What if it turns out radical Muslims don't hate us for our freedoms, but rather for our policies in the Middle East that directly affected Arabs and Muslims? What if the invasion and occupation of Iraq actually distracted from pursuing and capturing Osama bin Laden? What if we discover that democracy can't be spread with force or arms? What if democracy is deeply flawed and instead we should be talking about liberty, property rights, the rule of law, localized government, weak centralized government, and self-determination promoted through persuasion, not force? We're letting a group of 1% tell us what to do. And uh, I I can't believe how uninformed some of the public really are. These uh, false flags make one wonder about ISIS who used our arms to incite war on their own people. We call Muslims in the media barbarians and terrorists and talk about our values what do we call our droning of country after country and bombing country after country. I I couldn't believe it. The other day a woman said to me, we don't do anything to those people. They just hate us. We have to do something to clear this up. What does she think we're bombing them with, candy? I, I can't believe people even speak like that. Well... That's all I have for this week, and I hope to see you next Friday. And until then, inform some people about what's really going on and that we don't use candy and bombs. Maybe that will help deflect from what they're talking about when they talk about barbaric Muslims. Thank you for listening.